0: You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard podcast. We'd love for you to join us to discover more about who we are, where we meet and how you can connect with us. Head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, good morning. Today I'm I'm finishing a series. If you, if you take one alone, it makes less sense because a picture builds this is this is like a jigsaw and the various pieces start to slot together so we're we're a people we're committed to being on a journey together god works through people and he works through geography we aren't seeking for people just to come to a knowledge of jesus we're seeking for people to become disciples and discipleship takes commitment and it takes a commitment to each other and so i I would say series is better if we just dip our toe in the water we often um, miss out on something because we find the fullness in our journey together and that involves commitment to each other it involves us coming together and forming into a family and into a community on a mission and with a purpose and the series if you're just joining us today has been on invitation you are invited into the fullness of a relationship with jesus and as we discover that as we understand that as we step into that we realize this isn't just for us this is something that we give away and it naturally Pours out to those around us. So um, I would say one thing that the, the enemy loves to try and do is to try and dilute that, to try and water that down, to, to, to cause us to shrink back into the shadows and to steal the authority that we have and we carry in the name and in the power of Jesus. So I've got to say, honestly, we're having none of that. We, we have got to swing the other way. We've got to step into the fullness of all that God has for us. And I want to kind of conclude this series today by doing a talk that if i was just to give it a phrase I've, I've called it investing in eternity this is bigger than us this is bigger than anything that we think is even humanly possible if if we don't need god to carry out the vision that we believe and the mandate we have as, as a church then then really we have no vision if if we can do this in our own strength then we may as well not bother because there has to be faith. There's got to be a God-stirring and a God-element to this. And that's that's worth thinking about. That's worth pondering. We've, we've got to go at this. And we've got to go at it with everything within us. Because this has got to be beyond our human means. We want to see the kingdom of God extended. Not our thing that we can do that we thought was a good idea. This is God's thing. And we want to step into the fullness of what that is. Now... It's interesting that I've left today's talk till the end, and I'd say for two reasons. Firstly, because I believe it's crucial, it is so important to our discipleship journey. Secondly, if I'm really honest, because I find this one the most tricky, and um. Yeah, I think it's important you know that because if this is taken out of series, if you separate this one off and from the heartbeat behind it and what I'm trying to say, you may find your mind wrestling and you may find yourself quite frustrated. But I'd say this is a crucial part of our discipleship. And so for some of you you'll be like, oh, this is no surprise what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about finances. I was chatting with a church leader a few weeks back. Steph and I were, actually. And um, like us, they're bivocational. They do two jobs. And she was telling us – well, she's a doctor as as her other job. And she said to us, I see people all the time that aren't well, and I help them to get well. So with that in mind, I love chatting with the church about money – because I need to help them be well. I need to help them live a balanced, full life and really understand what discipleship is. So money, finances, is a huge part of our discipleship. God knows this. This is no surprise to him. That's why I think he has quite a lot to say about it. This is a hugely important issue. There's over 2,000 references to money in the Bible. It's talked about more than heaven and hell combined. It, It Combined, let's use that word, but it's over 15% of Jesus's teaching is about it. Eleven of his parables mention it. Only the kingdom of God receives more attention. Jesus warned people more often about greed than everything else that often we jump on. And I'm not saying they're not important things, but even sex outside of God's design, he talked more about greed than he did that. But and yet for us, so often. Money is such a deeply private thing. I think I could talk about pretty much any other subject, but as soon as I talk about money, our standards changes. Have you found, I know I've found that. Well, that's, that's mine. That's got nothing to do with you. Here he goes. It's the money one. You know, the big sigh, one of those talks, and <laughs> we'll get through it. What's for lunch? Do I need the toilet? Can I slip out? But, you know, this. I would say this is... You can slip out if you need the toilet <laughs> i feel <laughs> condemned but this the biblically we cannot shy away from this the bible actually elevates it it's, it's a major aspect of our world if we're to combat against the script of culture we've regularly got to talk about money let's read the passage that i want to frame this around this morning it's two corinthians chapter 9 starting in verse 1 and it says this it says i really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in jerusalem for i know how eager you are to help and i've been boasting to the churches in macedonia that you in greece were ready to send an offering a year ago in fact it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the macedonian believers to be to begin giving but i'm sending these brothers to be to be sure you are ready that you're really ready, as I've been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all that I would told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say... They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words love that that is worth a reread and a bit of reflection in your own time i would say but i love how paul starts the passage he says i really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the believers to give again. By describing how their own enthusiasm had incited the Macedonians to give, Paul's in fact, what he's really doing is he's prodding them. He's giving them a big prod to rekindle the initial enthusiasm that they had. Paul, I don't think, was naive about human behavior. The start and the end of a marathon are much more thrilling than the miles in between, where it's a hard slog and you keep going. You can't see the end in sight. It takes a stubborn determination at times to keep going. Paul also knew that it took a community to persevere. Just as teammates cheer a runner on, in a race. So Paul was sending Titus and two other believers to Corinthians to cheer them on. Kind of like the bouncers to go and collect the, the debt is the other way of reading it. But you know today what I really want to do is I want to cheer us on. I want to invite us into this. Not to the edges of it but to the fullness of it. So the the first thing really that I want to say is we're investing in eternity. What we do now echoes in eternity. Verse 5 says, So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one giving grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. As a church, we need to come into alignment with God's call on us as a church. You know some of the prophetic words that have been spoken over us but even setting that aside looking at it in the natural just some of what can be seen is quite remarkable but we can't lose focus now we can't let the mid marathon mindset catches off guard we can't let the enemy dilute what we carry just because we don't always see it we are and we are capable of investing in eternity we're investing in something way bigger than sometimes i think we even realize currently we give away 15% of everything that comes in to things that don't directly benefit ourselves in fact i think it's actually way more than that but we'll bring an update probably around february time as as to what that is you could say everything that comes in we're giving away because the whole purpose and the mandate of the church is to be outward focused but when we did a giving campaign um, back in february march time that's now become known as 422 for the building just up the road that was mentioned a moment ago a moment ago for those of you that don't know the detail of it that isn't even for us the whole purpose of that building is seeking to serve and to bless the area and the wider city it's a god dream as we work to not just restoring a building, but actually to, to restore the heart of a community and see that ripple out further. So when, when we gave the money Together, we committed to to giving a portion of that away to things that don't directly benefit us. Even though, if we're honest, the whole thing isn't for us. We wanted to give it even further and just see what the Lord might want to do with it. So from that set-aside money, we were recently able to give over £10,000 to DTI, Dreaming the Impossible, a youth event that the Vineyard run, which from next summer is going to be scaled up significantly as Soul Survivor starts to draw... a close, the Vineyard have been invited to step into a new season of investing in an emerging generation in a much bigger way than we have been doing previously. Let let me just tell you two stories about it. Firstly, at the next Vineyard National Leaders Conference in January, they're going to take an offering. Those offerings are a, a significant boost to the movement. They're vital to allow it to do. All that it believes it's called to do in top of what we give it as local churches, they need the injection and the boost from those moments and the, the financial resources for it to for them to step into what the, the leadership group believe as a movement we need to be doing. Well, let me just give you free guesses what they're going to do with next year's offering, even though it's crucial. It's going to be completely given away to things that don't directly benefit as a movement it's going to be given to other movements who are seeking to invest in youth work and and to reach into those areas in this country don't you love it this isn't for us we want to just give this away it's not about building our kingdom it's about investing and seeking to step in to his kingdom verse five i i want it to be a willing gift not one giving grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We aren't building our thing, we're investing in a kingdom thing, which ultimately is investing in eternity. The, the second story is this. Last year at the National Leaders Conference, they did ask churches to consider how they might support DTI. It's a huge step of faith that we're taking currently as a movement. We know. Um, some church leaders in in the South. And for a long time, they have longed to own a house. They've been renting and they just had a real longing in their hearts to to buy a house. Anyway, they they felt God say to them, open a bank account and save for a house deposit. Open the account and the Lord's going to do something. Now, they had no way of saving themselves or accumulating savings. So they opened the account and not very long after two individual people gave them independently fairly large sums of money, and they're kind of up and running. It was a profound moment. They're starting to save towards this house. Anyway, they were then at the leaders' conference, and they heard about the vision for DTI. And without, this always happens, does not it? Without talking to each other independently, they felt that they should give the money away, should give every penny in that savings account to DTI lay down the dream to invest in the house and invest in something way bigger. On talking about it, they realized that both of them felt the same, and it might be something God is saying. So rather than discuss it or pray about it or ponder it further, they decided just to give the money before they could talk themselves out of it. So they gave it all. Do you know what happened? Nine months after they gave that money, they now have ten times the amount in that savings account than they started with. It's remarkable how the kingdom economy works. Try explaining that to your bank manager. Try explaining that to your parents. Try explaining that to people who ask questions when you're about to do a God thing. We have to realize what what is ours isn't actually ours. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I'm not saying we give to receive but we give because it isn't as in the first place, because it's bigger than us, because this is an investment in eternity. This makes a bigger impact <coughs> than us and anything that we could foresee or even imagine. It's really a heart thing. And that which leads me kind of nicely to the, the second thing I wanna say. If the first thing is this is investing in eternity, then the second thing is this is a heart thing. This is a sign of our hearts where our money is is where our hearts are verse 7 you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure i have no shame and no embarrassment in saying we need to invest in the church the structure and its development jesus is coming back for his church he loves his church and he wants it to be healthy and he wants it to be thriving we need to make some changes to our structure currently and it's going to cost us the church is the only organization that i can think of that lives and runs and actually not only survives but thrives on 10 percent if we see it to that way if we see it that we're restricted to a percentage is giving 10 percent of our income an old testament principle can we get away with doing less well my worry even with saying the word and using the word 10 percent, leads to a place of limit and restriction and law i don't think that's what we've been designed for god is a radically generous god even if we said tithing was an old testament principle giving 10 percent of our income to god is an old testament thing we now have the light of the new testament and we know that god sent his son into the world to reveal what he's like He suffered and died on a cross to pay our sins. And we know God's love for us in a way that those in the Old Testament didn't know. We've received so many more blessings than those of the Old Testament. So should we say to God, oh, as a a result of you giving more than you gave in the Old Testament, I'm actually going to give you less. You've done more for me, but now I'm going to give you less. I'd say a tithe is, is a minimum. I I want to go way beyond that. Even if you give 10% faithfully, it doesn't mean that we're faithful and wise with or have the right perspective on the other 90%. We're to honor God not with a percentage, but it's with all that we possess. It's not 10%, it's 100%. Imagine if Jesus was to say to us, hey guys, I love you. I'm for you. I'm all in. But can I just restrict what I give of myself to 10% because it actually cost me less and it'd be a bit easier. He gave the whole of himself. He gave the whole life. It cost him everything that he was. In fact, I'm told um, that the, the national average that churches, people in churches give averages out to be 4%. Now, if that figure's right, I'd say that's fear, not freedom. That's legalism rather than generosity, That's a mindset of almost, I've got to pay my dues because I feel I have to, rather than the invitation to fullness. Verse 6 says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. We're not going to be generous (coughs) to this city and go beyond human understanding if it's 4% collectively. Now, Please hear me, I'm not trying to beat you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. In fact, Steph and I have no idea what you give. We deliberately, intentionally don't keep our eye on any of those details. I don't think it's helpful because this is a heart issue. It's a discipleship issue. The only time Steph and I would ever know if somebody is giving is if we're empowering them to lead. It's not about the amount. That's between them and Jesus, but we would ask the finance team if they're giving, because it's the culture that we believe is healthy to grow. Leaders who are living out the reality of discipleship in their own lives, therefore modelling and reproducing it in those around them. But I've often wondered, what would it be like if all of us gave? And what would it be like if all of us gave generously? Goodness me, the impact we could have or should have. Now, I don't say any of that to make you feel guilty. This really is between you and Jesus. But what I want to do is stir us to realize the investment that we could be and should be having in Jesus and in eternity, but also the opportunity that we have to grow in our relationship with Jesus. Because the Bible says wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You must decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. If you were here last week you will have um, seen that I, I got a bit overcome at one point, not because I was tired. I was tired after a course to live before. But sometimes the Holy Spirit can just grab you. He can grab your heart. And I was grabbed by the powerful reminder and realization of reading a prayer that my daughter wrote that said, Dear, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for food and water. I have food and water. Sometimes we have to realize we have so much we have so much even when we think we don't we have so much you must decide in your own heart how much to give don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure but i have so much we get to know jesus we get to learn and understand his heart for the poor and give it away and that includes our money you know as a church in this last week we've we've seen a major breakthrough we've always sought to to do two things among many others not only do we want to practically and compassionately respond to to the needs of this city but we want to rewrite we want to influence policy to breathe life and hope into the city and to give a voice to those that don't have one so practically this week starting yesterday was mentioned a moment ago the the building that we're hoping to see restored and do multiple things out of it we want to welcome you in this afternoon go, go and see it go and have a look around equally can you free some time this week to join one of the teams it's not ours yet we've got a long way to go but the green shoots of what the lord is doing are certainly there and it's exciting it's a practical outlet at least it the hope would be it would be our home to do that in the longer term but we're constantly seeking practical outlets for compassion this this is a heart thing we're going to continually seek to put time money and resources into serving some of the most pressing needs of the city that's why again what was shared just a moment ago each year 20,000 children and parents or carers flee unsafe homes to live in refuge that is devastating of children can't have a voice for themselves They're not old old enough. They're not able to stand up for themselves. So this Christmas, we're we're supporting Kids Out, the charity, to ensure that each child living in Manchester in a shelter or refuge doesn't miss out on Christmas. Honestly, grab one of the tags. Take it into the schools, the colleges, the workplaces. Let's let's not just seek out and live out compassion. Let's draw others into compassion and into the story of what God might want to do in this city. But that's some of the, the practical things the second thing that i really wanted to mention is is more in line with longing to rewrite and influence policy you know this journey started for us quite a while ago but over the summer some of our small groups took part in a listening campaign they also drew on the many conversations with homes in the area that we've had and the local residents and um, sought to bring that issue and some of the issues that are on our hearts up that we're finding within Greater Manchester. Now, one of ours, I would say, one of our top priorities is child poverty. It is a huge thing that that is undercover and not often seen but also mental health housing and homelessness isolation the environment all of these things but we know that child poverty is one of the greatest needs of the city it's partly why we're trying to step into what we're doing with this 442 building so as a church we presented our findings alongside other member institutions of greater manchester citizens back in september and 15 themes emerged in october the, the guys gathered to break down the issues, and as a church, we partnered with Manchester Central Food Bank and committed to work together and to make a presentation to ensure that child poverty was picked at the Delegates' Assembly as an issue that we're hoping to take forward to the Mayor's Assembly with a clear set of asks. Now, this last Tuesday, the Delegates' Assembly um, presented their findings alongside seven campaign groups, only four of them would make it as an issue that would be carried forward to the Mayor's Assembly as campaigns that will be hopefully really led and fed into over the coming years. Manchester Vineyard representatives, they ranked all the issues and we placed our votes across all of the other partnering organisations child poverty came out as the number one issue that was voted for let me say that again this is something that is on our hearts and we have been seeking to step into and pioneer and lead the way on out of all of the other organizations child poverty was voted for as number one that is incredibly good news as 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 the god dream that is in our hearts, to see it eradicated, for us to give a voice to those that don't have one for themselves. We're now gonna have to work hard to have a clear set of asks that will go forward to the mayor and hopefully see him make changes on child poverty within this city. Now, through our partnership, we've got great relationships with some of those guys, but also with the current mayor. He said that we influence his thinking. Isn't that remarkable? He has made directly a number of changes from some of the asks that we've made of him at the last assembly. He has incredible influence over the 10 council leaders and I believe and I dare to believe that we'll see real change for some of the poorest families in this city as a result. I love that at least 50 of you have spoken into that to make that a reality. We have a voice and we have a powerful voice. These God dreams, this thing that we're seeking to happen is way bigger than us. This is a God dream. It's not our dream. This is an investment in eternity, seeking to shape and free people's lives. I, I wonder, will you let your heart be stirred by that? You must decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. But do you see the green shoots of what the Lord is doing among us? Do you dare to dream and believe for more we we get to be part of this then the third and the final thing i wanted to pull from this passage this morning is this is a trust thing giving is a trust thing verse eight god will generously provide all that you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others do we trust god that he will provide for us when we give of our first fruits do we trust that there'll be plenty left over steph and i give by direct debit to this church it allows the church to budget when we give by direct debit it also means we don't forget because i am that person but also do you know why we kind of love doing it this way is is also i want to we want to give to the church first all of our other direct debits we've deliberately set them up to go later in the month now, why on earth would we do that? Well, I would say for us, it's actually really symbolic. We give to the church whatever. Whatever else we have or don't have, we give first to, the, to seeking the extension of the kingdom, to Christ, his church, and his cause. We don't work out what's left and give some of the scraps. We prioritize it because to be generous people, we have to plan our giving. It can't be a spur-of-the-moment thing or a momentary... Impulse, we suddenly feel this pang of charity or reach for our wallets because of that. Or, you know, if we, we're not consistently generous if we rely on pangs of guilt or mood in the moment. If we're to be generous people, we have to intentionally plan our giving. So, when we did this Giving Day back in February to allow us to have seed money for the council to take us seriously, hey, we don't have what we need. worth saying for that building it was seed money we're trusting god that he'll open some significant doors and funding streams because we believe he's spoken over it and we're going to go for it and we're going to go at it with everything within us unless he says otherwise but currently it's full steam ahead but anyway we had the giving day and as a family we we made two decisions firstly to lay down holidays for the year we're so replenished by holidays we we work hard and we love time off we love the headspace that it brings and but you know is that they're a luxury they're not a necessity and the second thing we laid down was was saving for a car we weren't really saving for a car because we didn't have money to save for it but we knew our car was struggling for the mileage we're doing and for the for the family's needs but we said hey let's press pause on that and let's direct that money towards the 422 project believing this isn't just a building, but this is a representation of something far, far greater that the Father wants to do in and through us, as, as a church. So, also by laying things down, it is actually so freeing. You you start to say, money money doesn't control us. I I trust the Father. We trust you and you alone. God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share. With others, so anyway, we had the giving day, and didn't the Father do something wonderful among us, regardless of the money? But in our hearts, we all gave sacrificially. We believed that we needed £150,000 seed money for the council to take us seriously, and you gave £212,000. I mean, I still sometimes I'm like, really, I, it's amazing. Now, I, I want to encourage you in a number of ways one is that story has rippled around the world now you might think I'm joking I'm really not it has rippled around the world people in well, all around the world <laughs> have contacted us to say that is unbelievable we're encouraged we're challenged we're inspired you know but a few weeks after we did that somebody gave us some money for a holiday we, we were on our knees honestly thank you Jesus the, the economy of the kingdom is really quite remarkable. Anyway, around April, my mum was been made redundant, and it's a long story. She's way over retirement age; should have done it ages ago. But due to a few challenges of where my dad left when we were young, she still has to keep working. But she said to Stephanie, she says, "I've been made redundant, and um, I might be able to lend you some money for a car over a five-year period." And we're, we're thinking, "Wow, this is crazy." we laid down both things and yet somehow we're having a holiday but also this might now still be possible anyway the more we thought about it the more it just didn't sit well we told you we were laying it down but also it was going to leave a stretch for the next five years and it would leave my mum stretch so we're chatting about it and praying about it and i phoned my mum and i said honestly thank you so much but the more we talk about it a car is just a lump of metal it, it you need it, but sometimes, but it's a lump of metal our hearts are for the lost the last and the least of the city and we don't want to do that anyway the next day the next day a guy guy phones me up I didn't even know he had my number I haven't spoken to him for ten years, but the last time I saw him was at my dad's funeral anyway he's he's a guy who when my dad left when I was only two him and his wife kind of became like my granddad and scooped my mum and us up and Anyway, he says, I've been praying and I've been thinking, and I'm going to transfer some money to a garage for you to buy a car. If I give it to you, you'll probably give it away, but I'm going to send it (laughs) to the garage. Now, what's the chances of this? Regardless of any of that, what is the chances that the amount of money that he wanted to give us was exactly the same as the amount of money that we said we couldn't borrow off my mum? I couldn't speak. You, he's like, are you still there? I think he was thinking it's a good thing, which it was, and I, was, I just didn't have any words. And I burst into tears. I still don't quite have words for it. Not only did we get a car, but we got the car that we would have chosen if we could have chosen the car, but we didn't want to choose it because we wanted to lay it down. Now, I don't share that to annoy you. Because I think for some of you, let's be honest, that could annoy you. Well, if only you knew what we gave up. We didn't get any of it. We just gave it all up and laid it down, and you've got cars dropping from the sky. Now, I, I, I could tell you many stories like that, and it gives me faith. It stirs my faith. Equally, I could tell you many stories where we've given up stuff, and it hasn't been the case. It's never the reason or the motivation. We don't give away to get something. We're investing in eternity. It's a heart response to the gospel and a simple trusting of the father we give it up because he tells us to what do we get we get more of him we get our stuff our security our pride our self-sufficiency out of the way and we're just left with him a deeper intimacy and a relationship with him it just so happens that often in our obedience of our emptying of ourselves and in that place we start to see the economy of god because we're relying on him not on us luke six thirty-eight: give and you'll receive Your gifter will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Please hear me right. I'm not saying give stuff to get stuff. I'm saying give stuff to have more of Jesus. Make space for Jesus. We don't give to receive money. We give because we create space for more of God. God, giving is, is not God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising children. We realize that this is a discipleship. Giving is not God's way of raising money. He's got all the money he wants. It's his way of raising children because it's a faith and a trust and a heart and a discipleship thing. I want us to see it as a discipleship issue. Nobody's ever become poor by giving to God. You can't outgive the giver, he's the giver and he's the sustainer of everything. Now, some of you would be so proud we've got this far without me yet mentioning it, but you know I love football, <laughs> you know? And um, what, what happens at a football match, well, you, you have the players and you go to the game and you, you watch them and sometimes you watch the coaches, I love watching their actions and reactions to stuff and then there's always a bit of controversy around the referee and at the minute, VAR is becoming a bigger part of the game than, than it should. And um, yeah. It's kind of killing it, and... Oh, no, don't, Paul, don't. I'm starting something that I don't want to do. Uh, I'm not going to go there. I'm nearly going there, and I'm just resisting it. Anyway, but then you've got the fans. They bring the atmosphere. Man alive! Some people get into it. Have you seen some fans get into it? Please forgive me, and I'm not trying to in any way belittle it. I know actually some of you even do this, but I just wanted to use it as an illustration. Surely nobody, 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 nobody pays to go to a game to see the hundreds of people in the yellow jackets, the stewards. If if they do their job right, you don't even notice them. Stewards serve an invaluable purpose. They keep people safe. They keep the fans and the players and the coaches safe. They serve to keep the boundaries. Often you see them lie down facing away from the game allowing the game to run smoothly who knows what would happen without them it's kind of the same with the rules everybody hates the rules but the rules allow the game to run and to be in freedom and not in chaos and I've kind of noticed something in the bible terminology and words and values which are mentioned throughout are often unused in today's culture But it's these things that the Bible highlights and heightens and elevates, often the things that the world shuns, but they're really key, the very ingredients to make us happy and have successful living and to freedom, to to kind of win, for want of a better word. It's a huge key in a world of chaos to live lives that are happy and free and successful and for us to fulfill our calling and our destiny and the potential that is on our lives. And uh, and that word really is steward, to steward your life. The definition of a steward is someone um, is entrusted to use and manage something which belongs to someone else. It's probably the second greatest theme in the Bible outside of salvation. It's talked about from Genesis to Revelation. It's talked about more than heaven and hell and prayer and lots of other things. Over half of the parables, again, you would say are about stewardship. Well, what is what is stewardship? Stewardship is managing something that is not your own. Stewardship is management. You have been trusted to manage God's resources. They aren't yours. They're not mine. They're his. But often we think they're ours to do what we want with, but they aren't. They're his. And all He yes of us is that we're open-handed with them. The passage says, I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only one seed will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide each in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others verse 10 for god is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a harvest of generosity in you man would he create a harvest of generosity in us verse 11 yes you will be enriched enriched in every way so that you can always be generous i'd encourage you review what you're doing do you give do you give generously? Do you need to start giving? Do you need to increase your giving? Have you had a pay rise? Have you had a change in circumstances? Are you giving begrudgingly? Are you giving minimally? Have, have you decided you don't need to because your finances don't allow it? Well, they probably never will. We're only stewards. This, this isn't ours. This is his we're going to continue as a church to step into the things that we believe god has called us to do we're going to continue to take risks i hope not reckless ones but faith-led spirit-led i don't want to be and i long for us not to be a limiter on what could be limitless as we give generously we will see a generous crop produced among us to step into this next chapter we believe god has for us will need us to see an uplift financially and we're praying for that you know there's forms on the seats that would allow you and help you be part of the vision and the fulfillment of that and encourage you to to take a moment and review something about it if 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 you know if you're able gift aid increases it by 25 let me let me just give you one final sentence if i can if you've come here today and you've heard this outside of our heart for you outside of the context of the wider picture of discipleship then i'm sorry honestly you need to forget all of it equally what i would say is sometimes our our mind can be challenged to reveal our heart and you'll need to work that out that's not pressure or obligation if you feel pressure or guilt then i'm sorry that's not what i'm saying but let this be the landing point. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Let it come from the overflow of a place of joy and relationship and intimacy with him. Why don't we stand together? Thanks for listening to find out more head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description